Well, I've been in a series, if you've been around the last few weeks, um, we've been in a series called Sexy Christian based on a book by Ted Roberts. And so we've been talking about biblical sexuality. This is part three. And I recognize that uh, this topic uh, maybe isn't for everybody. And that's the challenge when you put together messages that uh, sometimes things are more relatable to one group and not so much to the other. I I had a gal come to me just graciously last week and say, Pastor, how many more weeks are you going to do this? And I said, uh, this week and next week. She said, I'll see you after that. She said, this information is about 40 years too late for me. And, uh, and, and so sometimes there's, there's things that are more relatable and sometimes there isn't. But I, I pray that you just get some of the principles we're going to talk about for prayer and maybe not just that it applies to your life, but you can help somebody else that's going through the same stuff. Amen? Also, I just want to say if you're a guest with us, uh, you know, on Tuesdays, we have creative meeting, and we plan our meeting, and, and, and how long things should take, and so I know worship went a little longer, but uh, around here, our, our, our goal is to honor God first, and so there's times we're in the middle of things, and we just call an audible, and we say, we're just going to stay, and we're going to worship for a while, or sometimes we're going to come at the end, and we're going to pray for a while, and so if you can sit through a super hero movie for two hours. You can be in church for a little while, amen, as we talk about our superhero and how he's changed our lives. And uh, so uh, just be patient. If you got to slip out, I get it. I don't get offended by that, but we're we're just going to spend a few minutes in the Word this morning. I'm trusting you're going to get some things out of it. So uh, Father, as we shift gears, Lord, open our hearts, open our minds to see this topic as you designed it to be. Lord, our sexuality has been so twisted in our culture, so over-magnified, sexualized our culture has been. God, help us as followers of Jesus to to just understand some things that'll help us uh, with guardrails around our heart and things that'll help our families, Lord, and help us to enjoy what you've created for us to the max and, and how you designed it to be, God. So I pray as we talk about these things, Holy Spirit, teach us, help us, help me as I unpack it in Jesus' name. Amen. You all right? Well, first slide here. In Greek mythology, there were creatures plaguing sailors along the coastal seas. They were called sirens. And these creatures lived on an island and would sing songs so seductive and deadly that whomever heard it would be so intoxicated by their sound, they would, they, they would crash their ships on the reef near the island and be killed. And... Uh, Well, this is no longer just a tale of mythology. It's a descriptive example of what is shipwrecking the lives of millions in our culture right now because it's a perfect, deadly example of addiction, one that you can only understand if you've once heard the siren song yourself. There's two groups of people that made it past these deadly creatures. Jason and the Argonauts was one group, and the other one was Odysseus. And uh, they used two different, different approaches to get past the sirens. And so in a few minutes, I'm just going to summarize on, on those things that they use that are applicable for us today. But first, I just want to talk about the sounds of the sirens in the church. I'm going to share some statistics with you. You can find this in, in just plethora. There's so many people doing research on it now. And the impact, just the uh, sexuality or sexual exploitation of our culture has been But, you know, in the church, more than 9 out of 10 pastors, 93% or 94% of youth pastors, say pornography is becoming a bigger problem specifically for the church. 75% of the church people agree. 
However, only 7% of pastors said their church had a program designed to help those struggling with pornography. And, and, and that's one reason why I'm sharing, is because we say this thing's a plague in the church, it's impacting families, it's impacting our young people. I've, I've had young men up here praying, I've had young men in my office, a few women as well, just talking about the struggle it is. I've had young men that are willing to walk away or ready to walk away from their faith because they're just so frustrated by just that battle within and yet we don't talk about it on Sundays, and that's why we're talking about it on Sundays, because I, I believe the Lord wants to help people be free. How about you this morning? So we're, we're going to take a look at it. Here's some of the stats that just in our culture about normalizing porn, where it just become more just part of the everyday uh, appetite of our culture. Pornography defined, the, it's media content, pics or videos or chats or stories with the sole intent to sexually arouse an individual. And so there's been debate, you know, what is pornography and what isn't? Well, that's just a simple explanation. When, when the intent of this thing is to arouse you sexually, sexually, it's considered porn. In 2015, this is crazy. This is just one website out of hundreds of websites. Pornhub.com, 21.2 billion visits to Pornhub.com in 2015. People consumed 4,392,000,000 hours of pornography. 4 billion hours people spent watching pornography. And the U.S. is number one in the world per capita in porn consumption. So, so we're number one with all the other more liberal countries and more, what would say, progressive countries. We're still number one in the world as far as what we consume. Final cost and wasted time to business. This is kind of new statistics. Businesses start out now with the smartphones and all that, how much time people are distracted or just goofing around or sharing things that way. Just the time added up. This was, I think, two years ago. The time added up, they figured cost business is about $16.9 just in time spent, employees during work hours messing around with porn. Every second, 28,258 users are watching porn on the internet. Every second, $3,000 being spent. That's a $19 billion a year uh, budget. 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. So that's either once or twice a week. 40 million, 30% women. I'm sorry, it wasn't once or twice a week. Once or twice a month, they would say. 40 million once or twice a month visiting sites. 200,000 people consider themselves addicts. 25% of all search engine queries and 35% of downloads now they're saying are related to pornography with 68 million search queries a day. Big numbers, lots, lots of lots of activity, lots and lots of accessibility, which is one of the biggest challenges why it's increasing is just accessibility on every kind of device we're carrying now and it, it, it's impacting homes. This is one of the crazy things that got me. When ranking a list of morally objectionable items, teens and young adults said not recycling was more unacceptable than viewing pornographic images. And, and, and so that's how the culture's drifted, and that's how the normalization of this thing has happened, that now, you know, whether I would throw this bottle in the trash would concern more people than the trash that I'm allowing in my home or my kids to watch or my grandkids to watch. And so for you and me as followers of Jesus... Something's not adding up with, with those stats. Amen? Amen? So just a little bit more. Here, here's the impacts on the family. 
webroup.com, according to National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families in 2010, that's still, this statistic's seven years old now, 47% of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. So that's almost half of families say that there's, there's something in our home, porn's in our home, it's impacting some family member. Pornography used to increase the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. So it's, it's leading to acting out, it's leading to adultery in marriages. 40% of sex addicts lose their spouse. 58% suffer considerable financial losses and about a third lose their jobs. 68% of divorce cases involve one party meeting a new paramour over the internet, while 56% involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. The st statistics could keep going. They're just, they're just powerful, pointing to the fact that it's an issue, that it's a problem, and, and it's a challenge to the church, and it's a challenge to our families so you and me need to be aware first and then have strategies to help people get free and stay free. Amen? See, J Jesus said this, blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. And so again, I think about motivation for sharing and, and motivation for, for uh, you know, spending time on this. But, but as pastor and leader, I want to see revival. How about you? And, and Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. We're going to see God. And I want to see God's handprint on my life and in my family and, 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 and in every part. How about you? And so it's worth it for you and me to pursue this. Now, 40% of 7% men and 12% of women in general seek out porn. And, and in the church, that's 27% of Christian men and 6% of Christian women actively look for porn in the course of a week. And so that's pretty high. That's in the church. We're, we're not as high as the culture, but it's still pretty high in the church, and some things need to change. Amen? Let's talk about the power of this, the brain chemistry behind it, because this is where sociologists and really uh, even the medical field talks about the power of this addictive material, addictive neurochemicals on the brain. Ted Roberts, when he was doing his research and in, in the pure desire stuff we looked at, he said the brain chemistry and what happens to the brain during interaction with porn is the same brain reaction as if doing cocaine. And it's the same addictive things, the same drugs that coat and go through the brain that bring the relief, bring the euphoria, as when somebody's doing cocaine, as someone involves and stays involved longer and longer, that's why the addiction cycle grows so intensely. You know, I, I think it was 1997, so it's been 20 years ago, when uh, our home in Grover Beach, I still remember this, I can still remember the time when, you know, you go online, I have an AOL account that's ancient, and, and uh, you go on, just open up your emails back then, and people were randomly sending you porn. Does anybody remember that? And sometimes you could tell what it was, and sometimes you couldn't, but I still remember this time in my office, I knew what it was, Jan's not home, nobody's around, I, I still remember clicking on this, and back then you click on it, and then these windows just start opening up. Anybody remember that? This picture and this picture, trying to click off, and it just keeps opening and opening. I still remember this moment, the reaction I had to those, those images as they were just like blowing up my computer, and I'm panicking, trying to shut things, and is Jan coming? And I still remember the rush, 
And, and not just the rush, but like th- this anger kind of rising up in me as, as these images were just going crazy, but also the power of it. Just, just how those images could trigger some things and trigger response. And it, it's the call of the sirens. It's that calling out, that, that come in here, come over here, not knowing that those things you give place to them could shipwreck you. Well, Cambridge neuropsychiatrist Valerie Voon was featured last year in the UK documentary, Porn on the Brain. Her her research demonstrates that the brains of habitual porn users show great similarity to the brains of alcoholics. A brain structure called the ventral striatum plays a significant role in the reward system of the brain, the pleasure pathways. It's the same part of the brain that lights up when an alcoholic sees a picture of a drink. So it's the same neural response that happens when porn is showed to us, that, that same stimulation that, that gets working. This is super cool, and I, I couldn't spend too much time on this, but if you go online, Dr. William Struthers, he wrote some material and a book called Wired for Intimacy, and it's, it's you know, his work, again, is like, If you have a slope in your backyard and a sprinkler breaks and water starts running down the slope and the water starts cutting grooves in your slope, if you know you can throw dirt over it, but if you don't stop the water, fix the sprinkler, that thing's going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. He says it's the same thing neurochemically that happens to our brains, that as we engage in these things, there's this part of our brain called the cingulate cortex And as we engage in pornography and the neurochemicals around it and act out on that, it weakens this region of the brain. And that region of the brain is responsible for moral and ethical decisions, uh, decision-making, and also willpower. So just by repeated indulging in it, what it does is it impacts willpower. It impacts that, that part of our brain that says no, that part of our brain that says stop, as we're engaged in these things, dopamine and norepinephrine and this whole cocktail of chemicals gets, starts laying patterns down in our brain, which God created us to have a connection. And even in sexual connection, there's phytochemical, not phytochemicals, neurochemicals released that's supposed to tie us to our mate or our partner. But when we break that and are engaged here and are engaged there and messes up the whole neurochemical system, and when we've been wired for intimacy and we break that, Sam Black calls it the porn circuit. When we break that, it, it shifts everything in our relationships. It, it causes us to be less able to commit to people. It also weakens our sexual drive. It also weakens our ability to experience sexuality at God's design for us. It just messes stuff up. And we should be aware of it. And for you and me as followers of Jesus, we should uh, war against it. Amen? And so I had a video, uh, an interview of a guy in our church that's gone through some of these things, and I won't be able to show it this morning for length of time. We're going to use it at men's camp, and he's going to speak to us at men's camp. But he tells the story how this thing started in his own life when he was young. And a lot of porn addiction does. It starts when we were young. At St. Joachim's School growing up, Pat and I, my twin brother and I, we were involved in newspaper drives. And we would go around once a year and raise money for the school by collecting newspapers, and we'd recycle newspapers. Anybody ever done that? So we'd have our wagon, and we'd bring in newspapers and pile them up. Well, I think it was sixth grade class. Somebody threw away a bunch of Playboys or Hustlers or something, and so my twin brother, it wasn't me. It was my twin brother, my evil twin. He, he, he got busted, him and a guy named Mark, out reading 
the pornography on top of the newspaper stacks at school. But, but you know, that story, it might be a little funny, but played out more and more where young people happen upon just innocently either materials or websites or that, and that thing gets hooked in them at a young age. And often, people that are still struggling addiction today, that thing was seeded when they were a young person. And that's what our brother Wayne's story is. It started when he was young. His father divorced. They were Christians. He got deeper and deeper into it until it cost him his marriage, his first marriage. It cost him a ministry. He paid deeply because he didn't let it go. When we were young as well, we liked playing with fire. We would start little fires sometimes and in the backyard, and then we'd put it out real quick. Well, well, I shouldn't use their names. Nowadays, you never know who's looking or listening or whatever. But this family, these guys that were in our neighborhood, they started a fire, but they couldn't contain it, and pretty soon it burned a whole field down in a shack behind the house. And, and just like that, you and me, we play with stuff, and it seems harmless, and it seems like we can contain it, but when we don't put it in check, it can become a raging fire, and the cost of it can be, be very, very, very expensive in terms of relationships, family, productivity, all those things. You with me? Amen. It's the call of those sirens. And so I'm going to jumpstart quickly, go through just a couple principles of freedom, just quickly some principles of freedom that can help us. And I jumped a little soon on this, but number one, come clean. Say, come clean. I, this is a go-to psalm many times throughout my walk with Jesus. It's in Psalm 32, and it's King David. And, and this is just King David's heart. He said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old. And through my groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. And my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, that, that flow of my life, the things that were flowing when all was going good, it, it turned into drought. And then he says, Selah, pause and think about it. And then he said, acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I'm going to confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Then he says, Selah, and think about it. In all this stuff, you know, and probably most of us do this, we just, you know, draw a line and we learn to live with things. Like you learn to live with the snakes in the house. You just learn to live with black widows in the, in the storage shed. You, you just learn to live with those things and, and you don't really ever maybe get diligent or vigilant after them. And, and then David says, and then this started where the heavy hand of the Lord came upon me. The Lord started dealing with me about it, and I was restless, and, and I couldn't really sleep till I dealt with it. And then I came clean, and I just confessed my transgressions. He didn't say, I confessed my excuses. He said, no, I brought my transgressions to the Lord, and he forgave me the iniquity of my sin. And so coming clean is, is just the first part of really dealing with this stuff, just being honest with the Lord, just being real with the Lord. You know how many times people have talked to me about breakthrough, and when I hear breakthrough, this is what I hear. When somebody says I have breakthrough, it means I got to a desperate place, I got to a hungry place, I got to a place where if Jesus didn't show up, I don't know what I would do, and he showed up. And, and, he, and usually it's Jesus comes into that place of brokenness or Jesus shows you something about what you're doing, his hands upon you, and you just get it right with him. You just give it to him. You, you turn it over to him. 
You just yield to him fully and you allow him to come in and show you how you got in that place. After first service, Tom Dawson came up to me and Tom deals with theophostic uh, training in our church and theophostic ministry. And theo is God and phostic means light. It's bringing things to the light. It's a system of counseling. And he said, you know, Often the guys I see that are struggling, and some of the women, he said that the pornography is not the issue. There's, there's deeper things. There's self-esteem issues. There's this feeling of worthlessness that got set in, and so they compromise sexually or physically because they don't believe they're worth a good man or worth a good woman. They, they start believing lies about themselves that are painful, and so coming clean is, is evaluating how I got here and being able to bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I dug this hole or I've, I've been going down incrementally into this pit, but Jesus, I need you to turn me around and I'm just gonna give this stuff to you and I ask you to help me. And in those places, sometimes it takes an outside party to help you walk through places of hurt or unforgiveness or bitterness, but it all starts with coming clean. It all starts with bringing the thing to the Lord first. Anybody with me this morning? See, this is what I, I like. Let, let me go back for a second. Just w- with the words of, of David, when he got to this place, he said, through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my vitality was drained. And then he says this, and I'm gonna confess my transgression to the Lord. And all of a sudden, verse six, the whole tune changes. He says, for this cause, everyone who's godly shall pray to you in a time where you might be found. And surely in a great flood of waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I mean, he turns, this this thing turns around and pretty soon David, instead of saying, I'm dark and I'm heavy and all my vitality's gone, he said, no, God, you're my rock. God, you're my deliverer. There's a shift of heart as he begins to say, many sorrows shall be the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. It's like a turnaround. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's his turnaround time because he's connected to the Lord. He's come clean and he's given these things to him. Are you with me this morning? So it starts with being willing just to come clean. Number two, renew your mind. Just say that with me. Renew your mind. Why we get in the place is stinking thinking sometimes. And he, he says, Paul says here to the church at Rome, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Read number two with me. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'm teaching a class on leadership right now, and, and to be honest with you, in you know, 30 years of pastoral ministry, sometimes I think my biggest challenge might be with just organization and vision and keeping things clear when there's lots of different voices. And when I'm struggling with leadership stuff, just picking up some books on leadership helps me get back to true north. Just like morally, when things are drifting and you get in the scripture and you do a Bible study on holiness, it can help you get back to true north. 
And so what you're feeding on and what you're giving place to, you know, if you're giving place just randomly, you're the, here's the remote control in your hand, you're not even thinking about what's just going in through your eye gates, but you're just clicking away. No, 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 no. When you want to renew your mind, you got to be intentional about this stuff. You, you got to say, I, I'm going to meditate on these things. I'm going to put my focus somewhere else. I'm going to feed on something else and allow the Lord to change the appetites in my heart. Anybody with me this morning? And, and it's commitment to it. It's a commitment. It's decisions. What I'm going to allow through the eye gates, what I'm going to listen to, and being intentional about it, where you renew your mind, and that's where transformation comes from. Number three, a covenant with your eyes. This, this is what Job said. Job's going through the worst thing anybody could. He's lost his family. He's in a mess. Prosperity's lifted from him. I mean, he's just getting worked. And, and his friends are talking to him about how it's happening. And he begins to defend his innocence. And so towards the end of Job, he said this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman for what is God above chosen for us? What is our inheritance from the Almighty and High? Isn't it calamity for the wicked and misfortune for those who do evil? Doesn't he see everything I do and every step I take? This idea of a covenant with his eyes, it's tied into the fear of the Lord. It's where Job said, I've got to decide what I'm going to look upon, and I'd rather look upon the Lord because he's the one that ultimately guides me and judges me and takes care of me. And so I made a covenant with my eyes which way I'm going to look, and I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord. Those of us that studied techniques, you know, when there's a temptation to lust at this or that, it's the idea of bouncing your eyes, that you're not focusing on objects of, that would cause you to lust or stumble. No, instead of focusing there, you bounce your eyes. If it's just a quick look or glance, it's just training. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes and I'm not going to indulge in those things because I know what it could do in my heart. It breaks relationship with God. And so this idea of covenant with your eyes is, is, is a lot more in-depth just to cover in just the next minute or two, but I brought some articles here. It's by Bob Sorge, and it's a great, great article. Kind of a different insight in what it would mean to get vigilant in this area and, and just hopefully help put a stop to some of the things that we just randomly and carelessly let pass through the filters of our eyes. Is that all right? So check it out. There's someone out front. Number four, accountability. Say Accountability. I've found this in freedom. In freedom, it's the secret stuff that keeps us bound. But when we're more accountable, when we begin to open up and talk to others about our struggles and be free to do that, Scripture talks about confessing your faults one to another that you might be healed. Not to everybody, not on Facebook. You don't have to post it out there on Snapchat what's going on. But I'm talking about having trusted people that you can go to and say, hey, man, this, is, this thing's snipping at me again. This thing's discouraging me again. This thing's pulling at me. And the ability to have people that you trust and love you and they'll pull for you and pray for you, it's part of the, the uh, freedom train to get you out. Amen? Just like in that, the, the story, the mythology of the sirens, it was the guy's buddies that really helped deliver them. And it's the same thing with you and me when we're fighting this stuff and we get stuck we need friends around us. Solomon, the smartest guy in the world, said two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, read that with me, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. And I've seen that true where people really end up addicted and in a mess 
is when they isolate themselves, because often shame starts doing that anyway, and guilt starts doing that anyway. You begin to isolate yourself, and then pretty soon, you know, you're in a hole, and no one's there to help you out or help get you out. I'm grateful for ministry partners and men of God in my life that we can talk to about that stuff and stay, and, and it keeps us staying in the battle. Amen? Almost done. The, second Timothy, Paul wrote this to Timothy. Read it with me. It says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Just a couple things from this passage. Number one, flee. It doesn't mean play with the fire. It says flee from it, but pursue. You can run from one thing, but if you're just running from one thing, you're just going to keep randomly going. No, you, you flee one and you pursue the other, right? And you start pursuing the things of God and pursuing the call in your life and pursuing faith and growing in faith. Pursue what it means to really love like 1 Corinthians 13 instructs us to. And then he says, how do you do it? You do it with other people who run in the same direction. So friends have everything to do with our ability to, to walk right and to keep moving in the right direction. Amen? Amen. Last but not least, covenant eyes to, to stay to stay strong, sometimes it's filters where you intentionally just uh, put stuff on your electronics that are going to keep you from wandering to those sites. Um, Covenant Eyes is one where, I don't know, seven bucks a month or something like that now, and there's two guys that I'm signed up with, and I get reports on their emails and what they're watching or not watching every month, and it's, it's an accountability thing that was set up. And so if, if that's a place of struggle, there's filters. Covenant Eyes is a great website full of material. Again, is the more you read on it and get insight on it and build up your faith on it, it, it'll help you make a stand when you need to make a stand. Amen.